This episode is brought to you by Trunkline. Trunkline is the Angie's List with an oil-filled twist. Join Trunkline today. Impact Exploration Services made this possible for PBE Podcast. Get your mud logging, geosteering, and lab results that will make a positive impact on your bottom line. Bell Geospace supported PBE, made it possible to do our first show from Wichita Falls. And if you need gravity data that can see the deep-seated faults around your AOI, you need to call Bell Geospace today. Icon Science, the subsurface geoscience software that needs no introduction. Petrophysics Geophysics, tied to the rock data for you to visualize the best parts of your reservoir. And last but certainly not least, TGS. TGS is one of the largest data providing companies in the world, especially in the oil and gas world. Stay tuned with the development of their Well Data Analytics web-based platform. I personally use this platform to help me find projects and talk with investors about what we are looking at. Listen out for those shows with Asal and Andrew Stearns. Andrew Stearns talks about the DST database they have. Absolutely lights out. And check out this show we did in the Southwest Section AAPG, Wichita Falls, with Bob Ellsworth from RevoCam. Three two one let's go i am the host of the bb podcast sitting down with bob ellsworth sir i'll have you introduce yourself in a minute i wanted to just point out where we are right we're sitting here in wichita falls 2023 at the southwest section aapg for you it's another convention right it's another set of people it's another whole you know all new crowd all new contacts but for us, it's, you know, we don't get to do this very often. We're not here all the time. Yeah. This is a special place, man. Wichita Falls. That's We're right. meeting all the young geos that are growing up and becoming the juggernauts of the next generation. The decision makers, man. Mm-hmm. The ones that are going to really ride this thing out. Whatever happens with prices, we have to get energy out of the ground. We have to be efficient about it. We have to figure out what's really going on. How can we become better, right? More yeah. reliable. That's what everybody wants. Everybody's chasing the idea that, well, we're going to go through this energy transition because we need reliable, cheap energy that's safe and it's good for the environment, right? You have all these like outside influences on the energy sector mm-hmm. and the oil and gas industry, right? Kind of the grandfather of it all mm-hmm. is sitting back like, hey, we're here. We're here and we're here for a long time. That's right. Some people get stuck in that rut and they don't really innovate. Mm-hmm. Right. Some companies and some professionals are like, we don't need it. We don't need to invest in, in changing the narrative. We mm-hmm. know the reality of how reliable and cheap this energy is. It's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Renewables and alternatives might have a bigger challenge to, to really make an impact and become part of the, the true energy industry. Mm-hmm. And it's all on the backs of a lot of different ideas, but one of which is reliability. Mm-hmm. Right efficiency mm-hmm. right what are you really doing to make money here and make energy revokim is uh doing their part we'll get into that please mm-hmm. give me a little elevator pitch of uh of who you are yeah so uh so thanks for the introduction my name is bob Ellsworth. i'm the business development manager at revokim nice um so i'm a geologist i've been a geologist for man about 14 years all um, right so i've worked uh most of my career has been spent at startups Okay. Um, so I was a, a little uh, core analysis startup doing digital rock physics, digital core analysis for the first part of my career. Um, and then uh, I joined an operator. Okay. So Which a, one? Uh, Apache. Oh, nice. So That's not there. a startup. 
that was not a startup. No. <laughs> so uh, I was on the uh, unconventional exploration team there cool. for a few years. Um, and then I think it was about three or four years I was there. And then, uh, and then I joined Revochem. Wow. Doing business development. Wow. So you had three jobs coming out of college? Yep. It's your third one. It's my third one. I was just talking to somebody, the uh, president of Recon, the okay. wireline uh, company on the other side of the wall from you. Yeah. And uh, the president was saying that, you know, when you're young, you can make some some good lateral movements, mm -hmm. you know, in your career. And that's kind of what you're doing, right? You're swapping, kind of moving laterally, mm -hmm. not really going vertical. But now you're mm -hmm. you're planted at Revochem. Mm -hmm. You got a technical degree mm -hmm. and you're doing business development. Yeah for a company that's supplying very technical data mm -hmm. to the industry. Yeah. And now you're, you're ready to climb vertical. That's the plan. Right yeah. on. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, when I started off, uh, I started off from a, um, at a geologist level, helping develop the technology, commercialize it. I moved into more of an advisory role there. Okay. Um, and then moved, moved over to an operator, um, you know, kind of, learned that side of the industry, you know, going from service company to operators, uh, definitely a different viewpoint. Mm -hmm. Um, and did that for a while, learned a lot of valuable stuff on that side. And then I, the service side is, is actually really exciting. You work on so many different projects over the course of a day. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, and true. meet a ton of different people, a ton of different challenges. And so it's really exciting. And I like that. You the, like that the excitement of the startup world. Um, where you cool. really need to prove yourself. And um, I think it's valuable to have someone with a technical background doing the business development and sales, um, you know, because I think they, they've been the end user before, so they really know how to right. communicate with the geo team. So Right. Let's rock it back. Let's rock it all the way back. Where were you born? <laughs> I was born in West Michigan. Oh, yeah? Yep. Damn, at the Michigan Basin. Isn't that a wild one? Yeah. I think yep. it looks like a big bullseye on a map, man. <laughs> crazy been looking at that bullseye for a long time yeah. <laughs> oh man some really old rocks too yeah for sure very old rocks yep. so you're right next to uh the big lake they call Gitchagumi. a little south of uh yeah oh. Gitchagumi. i was i grew up on uh, lake michigan oh okay all right so. i just that song always rings in my head oh, you know yeah. the, the crash of the edmund fitzgerald yep. man gordon lightfoot just passed away the guy that sang that song and wrote that song yeah oh man like a week ago know. What? Mm -hmm. Oh man, rest in peace, mm -hmm. brother. Rest oh, in yeah. peace. Golly, I have not heard that. I didn't get that in my Google feed. Oh man, you know, which is surprising because I'm sure they know I listen to that song quite frequently. <laughs> right? It was all over my feed, but I think they they know I'm from Michigan. So <laughs> there you go. He's uh, I think there he's Canadian, but he's our boy. So yeah, that's right. Hey, we'll claim that. <laughs> right, we'll claim that all day. Yeah. Well, that's cool. So you grew up with uh, brothers and sisters. I have one younger brother. Okay, yeah. and what'd your parents do for a living? Uh, so my dad is in, uh, like automotive manufacturing. Oh, like at, uh, Ford and, you know. Yeah. So, so he, he, uh, has a, um, has a, a die cast machine shop. Die cast um, machine shop. Yep. Right on. And okay. Then, uh, my mom was, uh, worked in the court system. It's like a court, oh, court, court administrator. Oh, whoa. Okay. Mm -hmm. Getting people to come to jury duty. Yeah, I guess. Um, I mean, luckily, I had very little contact with that <laughs> industry, so <laughs> I'm not real sure. Did you realize they, they use this building because the cap, the uh, what the government mm -hmm. courthouse right in Wichita Falls is getting like remodeled? Oh yeah. So they're actually using this. Did you notice all the extra traffic? Yeah. 
Yeah, I was like, man, these people are ready, ready to go. They're all walking fast, you know, to the doors. I'm like, they're ready to see some rocks. Yeah, and they're all lined up for a jury duty. I'm like, oh, oh man. man, that's awesome. Poor guys. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. okay, so uh, so not from. Uh, ge how did you get into geology, man? Like, you, oh man, yeah. So uh, so I went to Michigan State. Okay, um, Michigan State. I, I that was the only school I ever wanted to go to. Really, I went there for nuclear physics. Whoa. And they had uh, the top ranked nuclear physics program in the country. And so I was all in. And three years into school, I was not really enjoying it. Um, mm. It just wasn't wasn't what I had hoped college at Michigan State was going to be. Um, physics was kind of interesting, but I, I wound up taking a geology course and just couldn't believe that it was a real thing you could do for Isn't a career. Amazing? And I was a, I was a park ranger my whole through all throughout college during wow. the summers. Yeah. And so it was like, man, I was Ranger Bob. I was Ranger Bob. Golly. And, uh, so I went to the professor one day, a couple weeks into the intro to geology elective. And I said, uh, can you actually get a job? Like, is this something people get paid to do? Yeah. And he said, absolutely. And so I switched my, my major to geology right then. Wow. And then, uh, finished out the school year that way. And then the, I guess it was my senior year, right around Christmas break, Thanksgiving break, sometime in there, a guy from a, a, a Michigan State alumni, they, they came in from Chevron. Okay. And it was the first I had ever heard of anybody in the department working in oil and gas. Wow. And he was telling us all this really cool stuff that he was working on. And uh, we had just hired a new geophysics professor, a uh, young guy. So I turned next to him. I was sitting in the, the talk and I turned next to him and I said, uh, are you going to have a grad student next year? And he said, I don't know, do, are you interested? And I said, yep. So I left that lecture, went downstairs, signed up for the GRE. This was on like a Thursday. Yeah. Came in, took the GRE on a Monday. Damn, you got to, did, that quick into your GRE? I was, I mean, I was committed to it. I was like, I'm going to wow. do this. Wow. I had to wait Monday. all kinds of time and freaking finally got to take yeah. my GRE. Turns out you're supposed to study for it. Yeah, that's didn't, right. Didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> So, uh, hey, it didn't help me. Yeah. I had fucking two books opened up. I'm taking <laughs> practice tests. I'm, you know, and then you get in that cubby hole for five hours, mm -hmm. and I was just losing my mind, asking me the same types of questions, just different yep. ways. Yep, I was losing it. I yeah. can't. I don't. I don't do well. I don't do well. This there. was. This was sort of early. I mean, this was probably 2006. Okay. So, Google, Wikipedia, they weren't Wasn't quite as robust yeah. as they are yeah. today. So I think I found on a, you know, a Yahoo message board, somebody had given some pointers on the GRE. <laughs> so I read that a couple hours before the test, went in, um, I did decently well on it. And, nice. Um, so he said, yeah, you're, you're, you're qualified. I'll, I'll take you're you good. as a grad student. And so I committed to grad school right then. And they, uh, you know, got some scholarships for it and stuff. Nice. So did uh, geophysics, like, oh, kind cool. of a, like a near surface applied environmental geophysics. Near surface applied environmental geophysics. Yeah, some combination of that. Basically, it's a geology degree, but my my focus was um, using geophysical methods to um, look at some deformed clay layers up in northern Michigan. Huh. And and how that basically why they were deformed in the way that they were and how implications for groundwater flow. Ah, they were barriers in the groundwater system. Yeah. Yep. And how um, deep was that? Maybe. A maximum of a uh, hundred and fifty feet oh, at, wow. at a total maximum. I mean, most of the layers were right there, tens of feet below the surface. Man, you ever get to drill it? 
Did you ever get to see a, like a core of it or like Never cuttings? saw a core, but the, the cool thing about my field area, so it was on the, there were these bluffs up in Ludington, Michigan. And uh, so from the bluffs, it just looked like you were on the top of a dune. But when you went down to the beach layer, there were these huge vertical clay diapirs. No way. That were deformed from the glacial overburden. And so... Clay diapirs. Yeah, these huge 100-foot tall vertical 100 structures. 100 foot tall. And so the, the sand had eroded, but the clay but the stayed. Clay so stayed. there were these huge like blades of clay no coming out. No way. They're so cool. Where the hell can I uh, see these? They're in Ludington. Ludington, Michigan. Can you run a field trip sometime? Like, do we have an APG <laughs> event coming up there? We should. I'm sure the you Michigan Basin Geological Society goes out there. Come it's on. It's amazing. I, I mean, the Michigan Basin, Illinois Basin. I mean, we have a reason for the APG to go out there. Let's do it. Get that community together, right? Mm -hmm. We can start recording some of their stories, right? Yep. Get some of those guys on it. And you can lead the, lead the field trip. I want to see these things. <laughs> they're, they're really cool. And the best part was I spent the entire summer living on the beach studying these things it was it was great did a bunch of electrical resistivity ground penetrating radar just kind of mapping out the orientation of them huh because so. you could see them at in the in the the cut surface of the bluff yeah but how did they where how were they oriented uh inland yeah and then what you know what does that mean if you have you know if you have a um you know, gr groundwater remediation or something like that where oh, would you wow. need injection wells or something like that damn so, so these clays were vertical beds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they were they were horizontal, but with the when you get the uh, glacial overburden, they deform into these vertical vertical diapirs. So were they fractured by the by the ice? No, they just it's a it's a pressure thing, and so the, oh, the pressure it's literally like a salt diapir type idea. Exactly, exactly oh. the same. That that pressure just sort of turns that into a fluid essentially, and they just squish up, form a diapir, and wow. Man, I saw this video, box of sand, right? Box of beach sand. Mm -hmm. And they they uh, put underneath it these little blowers, just air, mm -hmm. air blowers. Have you, have you seen the way sand reacts with a little bit of air coming through it? Uh, is that what they call sand volcanoes? Dude, it's it's literally like mud. It's Liqu like liquefaction, yeah, isn't it? It's Yeah, what, they weren't using that term, but it, it's the same look. It's the same feel like... The tennis mm -hmm. balls were sinking into it and popping back up. It looked like water. Yeah. It was unbelievable how sand with air mm -hmm. can look just like muddy water. Mm -hmm. I was blown away by that. Have you ever uh, have you ever looked into the um, New Madrid fault zone in New uh, Madrid? Yeah. In uh, I think they pronounce it Madrid. Really? Where's that at? Uh, like southern Missouri. Okay. Yeah, maybe I'm thinking of something else then. So, so they had a huge uh, earthquake there. Southern say, Missouri. Yeah, uh, I'll say 1800s sometime. Oh wow. Um, it formed Real Foot Lake. Um, the earthquake did. Mm -hmm. So my Holy family's from there. So they tell stories about how the Mississippi started flowing up river during this earthquake. Um, so massive earthquake. And uh, what the hell? One of the um, geophysicists at Michigan State had done a lot of studying there. And uh, but there's all kinds of stories about the this this phenomenon with the the sand in the area basically swallowing things because it, it turns into like quicksand basically so it would swallow structures and stuff that was what at the surface the, just just from crazy? the shaking of an earthquake this and here so we are cool. just walking around just hanging out thinking just it's a, not going to happen to us just oblivious <laughs> <laughs> it's like, 
hope it doesn't happen here. Right? Golly. Yeah. Well, that's cool, man. So you went and got your master's. You did some yep. really interesting geophysics. That's yep. really cool. What was your first job at a high, at a college again? Uh, so I worked for a little startup core analysis company. It was that's called right. Ingrain. Um, Ingrain. Yeah, they they sold out to Weatherford. Halliburton. 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 Yep. Halliburton. So um, yeah, just kind of. Applied cool. through a recruiter or something. I mean, I'm in Michigan, so I, I have no real concept of the industry yeah. in Houston. I just knew I probably need to be in Houston. I had some some contacts that said, just just get down to Houston. It'll happen. Just get down here. So I, I found this company. It was it was incredible. It was a really cool technology. Right it gave me a ton of opportunity to... Right I mean, on. I never ran an electron microscope. So when we bought one and they came upstairs and said, has anybody done this? Obviously, you lie and say yeah <laughs> yeah let's uh, <laughs> so, give me that give me that, that thing yeah it was fun uh you know it was it was a lot of long hours but it was uh it's really cool to develop such a cool new technology yeah. did that Look. for a while kind of got involved in the business development side as well there okay um so i learned from some some seasoned bd sales folks kind of how to develop these relationships and right stuff, on and just sort of went from there right on what was it that Ingrain was really figuring out with all that? Uh, it's EEM, uh, EEM, no, it's uh, SEM? Yeah. SEM, SEM. Yeah. Uh, what were they, well, I mean, what was it? What was the What was the client going after? What they want to, what were you guys discovering with Ingrain right there? So uh, we were, it was, it was really like a uh, digital characterization and then ultimately fluid flow modeling. So we were capturing the pore space, uh, whether it would be with SEMs, with a, uh, 2D SEM, 3D focused ion beam SEM, hmm. um, imaging that, you know, taking serial slices, stacking them all together, and then um, having know, like simulating fluid flow. Yeah. Wow. So you could do relative permeability tests, you know, in, in a few hours rather than running the, trying to physically force yeah, measure gas two fluids. Into it yeah. And, yeah. And, you know, there's core CT scanning to characterize lithology changes um, that maybe you can't see with the human eye. Um, wow, but that's cool. X-ray CT will pick it up. Really, like they um, can, it sees like elemental changes that yep. you can't density that's changes. Cool. Density changes. Yep, that's what it's really seeing is the density yeah. changing. Yeah, that's D cool. density and uh, and some elemental changes as well. There's kind of two things that really affect that. CT so. scanning. So yeah. I wonder why they don't CT scan in wireline. Like, why not put a CT scanner and just drag that thing up a hole? <laughs> I don't know. Like I think it's probably, the, probably the physics of the tool needs to have a. Is it a big machine? Oh yeah, I oh. mean it, it's it's the for same, humans. Scan. It's the same. Oh, it's you guys are running a log through the same thing. That same thing. Just crank the power up because the patient's already dead. So <laughs> we crank the power up. Hate those things, scan, man. Scan rocks. Yeah. I don't care if you got earplugs, sunglasses, music playing. I hate sitting in those freaking yeah. things, man. <laughs> it's tight. Yeah. So, yeah. Poor core. No, mm -hmm. I'm just kidding. Uh, right on. Okay, so. Let's uh, let's dive into Revochem, man. Yeah. Let's dive into what exactly is it. Let's mm -hmm. just start there. General description. It was someone standing in an elevator with you. Yeah. You don't want to listen to music. You say, I'm Bob. They're like, what do you do? What's Revochem? Mm -hmm. So uh, we do geochemical fingerprint analysis. Okay. Um, so what we're doing is, uh, you know, we've got some patented extraction uh, technologies. So we can, um, you know, when we extract oil from cuttings or core samples, we do a, a physical extraction, no solvents or anything. Oh, wow. So we, we preserve a much larger range of compounds. And then we have uh, what's called a multidimensional gas chromatography or GC by GC. Um, and what that does is, um, you know, whereas traditional gas chromatography separates on boiling point, 
and maybe you get 150, 100 to 150 compound or peaks that you can uh, kind of identify. Um, we, we separate on a second attribute as well called aromaticity. So we're looking at the ring structure, folding, double bonds. Wow. Um, and so we're able to take those you know, traditional 1D peaks and separate them um, into a, an additional mm. order of magnitude. So we're looking at over 2,000 compounds. Golly. And so when we're, you know, when we extract the oil from, from those cuttings, yeah. maybe every 10 feet from a vertical well, we've now fingerprinted every 10 feet. We found that unique fingerprint. And so then we can analyze the produced oil and tie that back quantitatively to which zone it's coming from in the reservoir. How interesting. And there's is a that? whole lot of other, I mean, just from the extraction process and the establishment of the baseline, we get information on oil saturation, um, oh, what cool. we call a, a reservoir of... quality index. So it's a matrix permeability, uh, wow. water saturation. So some, bypro some byproducts come out of that. Some... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't want to just call it byproducts because we, you know, those guys worked hard on that, but it's, yeah, basically just, just that process alone yeah. gives us a ton it of opens it, it up. really fast. Uh, and it's, it's, it's an independent data set compared to like petrophysics or something. So it, it matches up really well, but it's not done physically, uh, using, using physics. It's done with, by measuring the fluids and the extraction of those fluids. And then from the, huh. you know, you start doing the production allocation. Now, you know exactly where your oil is coming from. You can monitor that through time. And so you can do this time-lapse monitoring and see kind of how the, uh, how the reservoir, how those contributions change with, just maturity of the reservoir as different zones come wow. into play. And they what does that look like over time? You guys have a case study of, of one that's kind of like this sand. Mm -hmm. It's all perfed. Yep. But this sand came out with these types of, I'm guessing it's aromatics and alkanes that you guys are really differentiating. It's everything from, you know, C12, 13, 14, all the way up, you know, typically into the mid 20s. Okay. Typically what we're looking at. Um, but I mean, there's, there's thousands so, of compounds and kind of that center peak of the Dimetrodon fan that yeah, uh, yeah. hydrocarbon, you know, thing makes. And, and we're not just looking at the, the, the biomarkers themselves. What we're looking at is really the ratio between them. So it's the same compounds are in, you know, most of these oil, most all of these oils, but it's those, it's subtle changes in the ratio between those peaks. So that's how we're able to be, you know, that's how we're able to differentiate every 10 feet. Uh, vertically man and so um, aromatics and and alkanes there's two thousand different combinations of how they hook together and mm -hmm. yep. wow that's like the pentanes and hexanes and mm -hmm. is that all that stuff or no what am remember I, you're talking to a geologist and geophysicist here not a geochemist so. <laughs> <laughs> i'm trying to remember these wild names of these polyaromatic hydrocarbons like the stuff that really makes the mm -hmm. oil you know the, the foundation of solid state hydrocarbons mm -hmm. and the relationship to the liquid state to gas right liquid yeah. and gas it's all it's all part of that and it yep. comes from the carriage and makes the oil makes the gas so you guys are getting the rock which has the carriage in it mm -hmm. and then you're you're extracting a fluid from that or a gas and you're yeah. and then breaking out that real specifically in these dimensions yeah Instead of just so we're we're some... we're really extracting the the mobile oil, okay. That's truly what it is. So so no, we're not mobilizing anything that shouldn't be mobilized because we're not using any solvents. Mm -hmm. um, and we're looking at the oil fraction. So 
that's why we're able to get a um you know an oil saturation we're able to get this permeability index um because we're really looking at what is the mobile hydrocarbon really able move. to extract right here. right um, well yeah i guess depending on if it's a co2 flooded area or or if it's gas drive or water drive i mean some of that stuff the way you extract it might be actually still moving but i like the mm -hmm. idea i like the idea that you yeah extract we, we without solvents not, yes we're, we're no by by not using solvents we're not over extracting right introducing something that's completely foreign right. and right. maybe messing something up in the in exactly. the analytics exactly right on okay and so um Let's go to a, an actual like kind of real life example of what mm -hmm. this looks like. The bottom sand is one set of, of very distinct hydrocarbon markers and the top one mm -hmm. is another. And then you have the production, which the wells just perfed in all of it. Yep. Co-mingling. They're just making 100 barrels a day, 2000 barrels of brine. Mm -hmm. You take a sample of the composite oil that's coming mm -hmm. from both. Yep. And you sit there and you go, all right, here's three months and then here's six months and then 12 months and mm -hmm. you go over time. You know the two distinct ones. Now you have a commingled fluid, and then that commingled fluid starts react starts changing more into what one or the other over time. So, so even more, more higher higher resolution than that. So, not just an upper sand and a lower sand, but every ten foot, what are slight variations in those benches within those upper zones no and kidding. lower zones? So, it, so it's not just is this an upper or lower Eagleford, for example, but literally every 10 feet even we've even done tests where it's it's finer resolution than that and Sheesh, and not man. just to, not just talking every you know month one month three but we see we've seen up to you know 80 85 90 percent change in drainage pattern in the first two weeks wow so we'll take i mean we've we've done first first flow back and yeah. then eight hours later and then the next day, and then three days after that, and another three days Man, after, and you see wild fluctuations. Really, that flush, so that that, flush that initial production. production. Yeah, it's a great representation of your your overall drainage frac height. Right, but then you start to see, you know, maybe after a few days, those those the yeah. ends of the those fracs they start to close up Closing a little bit, in. or you know, you get an initial production from a a certain zone, and then you start to see that decrease, but a lower zone starts to kind of come in. Isn't that interesting? It's a, so we actually were produced or we're, we published a paper at Ertech this summer, um, and it's a statistical look at all the, you know, we've got a thousand wells or something like that in our in our database, and so our, our team looked at that just kind of statistically. What are we seeing across, you know, multiple different basins here: Permian, Midcon, oh, Type um, Two, Type One, everything, all the different the, the stuff. whole range of it. Yeah, really looking at, you know, in, in separating that that. that production into multiple phases and um you know what so it's you know that that early phase those first couple of weeks wild changes for even maybe up to the first couple of months and then you've got that sort of where it's starting to stabilize that month mm. six to a year or yeah. so and then and then after that you know a year to two or three and then you've got that very long term what's it look like in four five six years from now Jeez. and they're all very distinct patterns no wild um, and then throw in something like a co2 flood or right or, you know a refrack or some different technology that's doing different chemical just, breakdowns just yeah just infill drilling or or activity on the next door pad can immediately start changing that stuff even though it's been legacy producing for years 
So in a perfect world, in a perfect project mm -hmm. for RevoKim, mm -hmm. if you guys were to just stand on the platform talking to every operator, big and small, mm -hmm. and said, we want the we want to create the perfect program mm -hmm. to figure out your asset and how you can optimize where all your pay is actually coming from. Mm -hmm. What would that look like? You need to start with coring the well? You need a core? Not necessarily. Okay. Coring's great. Cuttings are are every bit as good. The nice really? thing about cuttings is you're not using one inch a rotary or something, right? Like you're not just trying to characterize 10 feet by one inch. You kind of, you get right some samples over that whole 10 foot interval. So the, what you really want to do a perfect project, you collect cuttings, let's say every 10, 15 feet. Yep. And you start collecting, you know, a hundred feet or more above your shallowest producing zone. Okay. And you collect through your entire zone and then a hundred feet or so below. Okay. So you make sure you've covered all of your production and then any potential out of zone contribution that may or may not be there. Um, so you do that. We run our, we, we extract it. We run our analysis. We establish that baseline. We give you the, um, those reservoir characterization indices. So you've got your oil in place index. You've got the reservoir quality you know, matrix perm index. You've got your water saturation. Right on. Um, that can help with targeting. Sure. Um, so, yeah. You know, where you like want to perf? Exactly. Kind of ideas. So we, we establish that. Then you, you know, the operator makes their decision where they're going to land. And then we start collecting samples from that initial flow back. Maybe you get a sample day one, three, five, right. ten. We kind of have a, a recommended sampling program. But essentially, it's it's more samples in the first week or two. And then you start going weekly, Space it out. every other week, monthly, whatever. Wow. For and, what, uh, maybe 12 months? You need a year? You want As long as you want. So so we well, typically see those changes start to stabilize after mm, maybe six or eight months. Um, but we have, I mean, we're, we, we're publishing, um, I think it's like our third case study with uh, Diamondback. Nice. And they've got some wells that have been monitoring for years. Wow. And How fast does all the, the, uh, the cuttings information come back? If you're drilling that well, you TD'd. <laughs> You send all your cuttings off. How long does it take to get all that information back before you're casing and perforating? You know, you yeah. So so it takes us about two to three weeks to turn this around. Okay, and so that's hundreds of feet of of cuttings. Yep. Right yep. on. That's yeah. not bad. Yeah, and then same thing when you send us the oils. Um, so so most folks, you know, they'll they'll collect those first couple weeks and they'll send us, I don't know, a couple dozen samples at a time, maybe. Yeah. And again, it's only only two three weeks. And then we'll, you know, we get together and okay, here's how it's allocated back. Here's wow. how your production started off. What the here's hell? sort of how it settled in over the course of the first whatever. What the heck? A couple months later, we'll get another batch of samples, and here's what it looks like from month three to right six on. or whatever. Very cool, man. Yeah. Very cool. It's really, and you know, then we can start looking at the 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 analysis is sensitive enough to look at two laterals landed in the same zone. Okay, and we can see how much overlap there drainage volumes have so even though they're landing in the same wolf camp a right the same bench of the wolf camp a yeah there are subtle differences in this oil versus this one that's no 300 kidding. feet away no and so kidding. we can tell you to what degree are these wells communicating right on so we could man i would time. love to talk more about those subtle differences in those yeah. things uh in the, between just the the same reservoir 300 feet spacing mm -hmm. hydrocarbons are different there's subtle differences in the hydrocarbons. Man, yep. that's really cool. Those uh, those molecules have taken 
different pathways. They've had slight differences in mineralogy that they've encountered. Right. Slightly different thermal histories, and it changes those ratios just enough, and and we're able to see that. that. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Talking about the completion part of this show, man. Like, where do you see Revokim going? How do you? Yes, business development manager, Mm -hmm. right? What What are you hearing? What kind of changes are you guys making as a company Mm -hmm. to adjust to client feedback? Yeah. How do you see the next three to five years really going? So, um, you know, obviously that we're improving the data data analytics part of it. So. you know, we're looking at monitoring not just the vertical changes, but three-dimensionally. So we've got, you know, we can measure changes laterally, vertically, through time. So, so looking at these these three-dimensional changes, we're um, we have a database. So just continuing to grow that database. And so maybe folks don't have mm. a pilot well, or they're looking to make an acquisition, so they don't have any wells in an area. What can they get from us that can give them some? some uh you know regional trends to really? help make these acquisition decisions you got like type blogs running around the basin almost yeah basically wow. production allocation type blogs yeah, yeah. so we've got wow. um, you know about a thousand wells in that so far wow across um, the country yeah so so we've got right now we've got that in the permian eagleford anadarko and uinta wow is um, it is Rebokim just us right now or do you have data do you have operations going on outside the u.s so our lab we're all in houston okay but we're working with companies uh, a lot of work in argentina north sea middle east all over the place really canada really that's another big area of growth for us is obviously internationally um but we we're starting to get a lot of interest from companies working in condensate reservoirs and so between our extraction method and the the gc by gc we're able to get uh quantitative information from from condensate which you know is much more limited in the compounds available a lot lighter and a lot of it's been volatilized so that's a big area of growth for us too is condensate reservoirs right on mm-hmm. right on well i'm excited we, man you know uh we're we've got you know water analysis that we're developing um you know a lot of people ask where's the water coming from that's so we right. have we have What's ways in to the water all that good stuff yeah so i think in the next six months you'll probably see a lot more of uh those types of products man now in the water day are you guys extracting the carrageens that's in the water have you done any work on the the solid state stuff floating around in the, in um, the water i'm not sure i'm not sure about that'd that. be cool to, to yeah, take a look cool. at see what what's going on mm-hmm. there what kind of polyaromatics are in there mm-hmm. that potentially are contributing to the uh, aromatics and alkanes of, of actual h2c's yeah. that are forming there's a lot of challenges with water um and i i, I won't even pretend to be familiar with it but there's lots of, you know, challenges with sample collection and preservation. Oh, wow. You know, you got, yeah. obviously, like, you start changing the temperature and pressure of these formation fluids, particularly with water. There can be a lot of challenges. So, Do you ever run into any issues? Last question, and we can get uh, going on the Stay Positive book and okay. call it a show. Okay. Um, do you ever get uh, a lot of interference with chemical programs in these in these things, right? They're introducing something that... They don't even know the operator will buy it and mm-hmm. the and the chemical company's like you know it's most mostly hcl but we do have a proprietary mix of different things we're not going to tell you you know mm-hmm. it's our thing we have not the the only challenge that we have really run into is with oil-based muds ah, because you've got them mixing with right. the formation oils right. so you've got an oil-based mud formation oils now they're commingling right combined with the analyzing cuttings you've got that huge surface area to volume ratio. And so they wind up basically imbibing into the cuttings 
and and we it masks the, the the native oil signature yeah. but it's fine with core and and you know, rotaries or, or whole core chunks you can get but as far it. as tracers none of that affects our our analysis right any other chemical we, we've not seen any other um negative impacts from other other right on. chemical okay. uh, processes well man i'm excited let's do it. let's uh let's go with the stay positive book we'll end okay. this thing All i right. like your perspective i like your attitude <laughs> Uh, you're, you're excited to be at Revo Camp. So, uh, if if you need it, we're going to go for it. Encouraging quotes and messages to fuel your life with positive energy. All right. PB podcast, 2023 (laughs) Southwest section APG. Just tell me when to stop. Stop. Got it. Ooh, I like it. It's a short (laughs) one too. Start with the left side. There's nothing more powerful than a humble person with a warrior spirit who is driven by a bigger purpose. Okay. You like the, did that role? Did I like that, that hit one. You? That one got me. Yeah. You kind of have that Viking look to you. So, I mean, that warrior <laughs> is coming out. There's nothing more powerful than a humble person with a warrior spirit who is driven by a bigger purpose. I like that one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Next one. The more you count your blessings, the less you'll be stressing. It's a good outlook. Right? Yeah. The more you count your blessings, you're just like, you know what? Woke up today. Yep. You know, that's I'm I'm ready to go. I'm happy about that. Yeah. And you're you you fill that space mm-hmm. that might be wanting to get filled with the you know, ah, you're not going to do anything today. You're going to waste your day today. You're mm-hmm. you're 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 procrastinating, you know, the negative, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the one one previous podcast said it. He said, you know, the the way you get fear out of out of your brain is to fill it with knowledge. Mm-hmm. Whatever you're scared of, go read about it. Go learn more about it. Go yeah. talk to somebody about it, and you'll you'll remove that fear and replace it with knowledge. And I think that's that's a good one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's kind of and, and quantifying those counting. You're, you're you're quantifying your blessings. Little things like you might hate your commute. There's nothing like being laid off to wish you had a commute. Jeez. Yeah. Yep. Perspective, right? Perspective, yeah. Like, you know what? Am I really upset about this? Change my perspective? No. What if I didn't have a job to commute to? Mm-hmm. That would not be cool. Right. Yeah. Kind of like this song all of a sudden. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm dealing with this. Opportunity to listen to some books on tape. Or yeah. Maybe a podcast. Maybe a podcast. That's, yeah. Nice. Get a nice. Now, nice uh, you play podcast. the guitar. You play the guitar. Where, where does all this musical... Uh, affinity come from uh, my parents at a young age they you know i elementary school tri orchestra tri band so I, I played trombone and band for gosh i don't know it's a young elementary school all through high school and right then on. uh which one's some, the trombone which one's the trombone yeah the one with the slide oh yeah <laughs> okay so you kind of have to have that like you do right that's yeah. the noise you got to make with that one that's exactly right yeah. oh man yeah. that uh and then what's what's the other one you had? So uh, well, then I had some friends that were good drummers and good guitar players, and nice. they're like, I, "Hey, drop the I, trombone, I wanted to man!" Hang out with them. Yeah, you can't show up to a <laughs> you're rock like, concert yeah. with a trombone. <laughs> Although ska was big, so I was like, "Let's make a ska band." So I that just decided worked. to learn the bass guitar. Okay, um, bass seemed guitar. like the bum, bum, easiest bum, way to bum. get in. Hang out with my bass. buddies, slapping bass. That's right. So did that for a while, and then um, that's not the most exciting thing to jam on with your friends. <laughs> And so, yeah, my three-year-old one day, she came home from school and, Daddy, can you learn how to play the guitar? 
Is that right? And so that's a perfect excuse for me to go buy guitars that's and amps and pedals. And <laughs> so you went all in. Go all in and get obsessive about it. So <laughs> that's now, great, now we're there man. with a whole collection of guitars and amps. And right stuff on. Like that. Right on. You still like playing a little ska on the guitar? I wish. No? I wish. So, Dude, I'm, I'm still trying to learn basic chords and oh man. chord progressions and man i hear like you dude i hear fun. you yeah heck it's yeah fun. it's fun man it's rewarding too yep. when you actually get it going and for the rest of your life you go to somewhere and there's a guitar sitting there you can pick it up and mm -hmm. start making noises and people are like oh that's nice and it's a it's a cool creative outlet i mean i i meet yeah. so many people that whether it's music or painting or whatever um it's a little i might not be good at it but it's fun to just tinker around and right it's a creative outlet yep that's interesting yep. yeah and sound is amazing man sound is such a powerful mm -hmm. and unestimated underestimated not well understood mm -hmm. the phenomenons of science and mm -hmm. particle physics and all that stuff when you really get into my voice projecting through the air into your ears and how you hear it and oh, yeah. how you feel all that stuff and then you you do a guitar and they talk about the different frequencies the guitar mm -hmm. can be pitched into and the different tones. Like, man. It's a rabbit hole. Dude. And it's, it's so fun to go down it. Right? Mm -hmm. It is really, really cool, man. And you get to make those noises. You're a creator. Yep. Right? You're a creator on that guitar. That's really, man. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed it, Bob. Thank Me you for too. sharing your time with us today. Absolutely. I uh, wish you the best with RevoCam and being the, the business development manager, man. That's uh, that's cool. I yeah, look, thank look you. Look forward to staying in touch. It's been a lot of fun and looking forward to the future. Right on. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you, man.